Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Daniel Towns, who is a very thoughtful and interesting comedian. Uh, We ended up spending a lot of time together in Perth at this year's Perth Comedy Festival and catching the plane back together. And as a result, I asked him over to do my podcast, to have tea with Alice. Uh, We talk about tea, his approach to tea, and uh, a number of uh, social issues, including things like narratives in movies. Uh, It was an interesting chat. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoy having it. Dan Towns is just a really interesting person to talk to. I've said interesting too much. Uh, thank you, everybody who has been subscribing to the Patreon to download Ethos, the full filmed version of Ethos, which is available to the $5 and up subscribers. Thank you, everyone who's been emailing me, alicerfraser at gmail.com, and uh, everybody who's been tweeting me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I'm on my way back to the UK soon, and I will see you there if you're there, and I'll see you here on the internet if you are here on the internet, which I assume you are, given that you're listening to this. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So, who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Daniel Towns and I'm drinking lemongrass and turmeric tea. Why, why did you choose lemongrass and turmeric tea of the selection that I offered? Because uh, they're both good for me and I've been recovering from an illness and turmeric's meant to be the, that's one of the latest, hey, this is a super, super herb. It's, and a, it's a herb, right? Have you always that's been, it's a <laughs> spice, I think? Spice, there you go. Super right, spice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there was a whole thing, a friend of mine used to do turmeric facials and you'd show up at her place and her face would be bright yellow. Oh, really? And it was apparently very good for your skin. It is good. I've had plain, just normal turmeric tea before as well. Mm. Like, I'm a big fan of herbals. Yeah, yeah. i got a lot, I've got a whole cupboard full of just a lot of tea. So you're a tea connoisseur. What do you like about tea? Um... Just hot water, and it's just a nice drink. It's a good way to get my eight glasses of water a day without having to drink water on its own. (laughs) And, yeah, I don't know. I just prefer it to coffee. If I had to choose tea or coffee, Mm. I I don't know. But there's a two-hour window in the morning where I need the caffeine. But I suppose I'd just pick green tea and then stick with tea. Yeah. Because I drink far more tea. Then you would drink coffee. Yeah. See, that's one of the things I like about tea. Tea lasts as long as you want it to. You, can, you can't really have too much tea. No. I mean, you can, and I have, but that's just a matter of you, you went into it with the wrong approach, right? So if you want to have a day of just drinking endless cups of tea, you drink weak tea and you, you know, you'll have particular kinds of tea. Sometimes if you start with strong tea and you keep on strong tea, then you get all jittery and weird, but... It is possible to strategize a whole day of tea. Well, I tend to avoid all the teas without, that are without caffeine. Uh-huh. And then sometimes by the end of the day, I'll have multiple bags in there. Oh, like, wow, like you got, are strong. I've got like a triple ginger tea. <laughs> and then I've also got like a lemongrass and ginger. So I'll put the triple ginger in first. And then for the next cup, I'll put the... Layering flavors. Yeah. So by the end of the day, sometimes I've got a couple of different... But you yeah, they're write, always... You could write a cookbook. Like, <laughs> on tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, my girlfriend made peppermint tea oh, at yes. home. Yeah, because we were growing peppermint. And that stuff is like a weed. Yeah. Yeah, it just grows. And so what are we going to do with kind of, yeah, the cockroach of yeah. herbs. It yeah, will go yeah. and go and go. 
Basil will die like that. Oh, we got yeah, that up pretty good too. Back. We thought that was going to go. Like, yeah. just went from sprouts and it's just huge now. But the weed, the, the weed, the, yeah, well, the mint has completely overtaken the whole thing. Yeah. The parsley didn't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> weak, weak parsley. Uh, it's uh, high in iron parsley. Is it? It's good if you're, if you're running late on your period. Okay. Well, Eat a, a tabbouleh. That's not a problem I've had. Well, <laughs> you never know these days. Um, so what have you been wrestling with? In life? In life, in your mind, what are you unsure about? What are you troubled by? I'm always wrestling something yeah. at the moment. That's I don't why know I had you a, on the podcast. I don't know if it's a midlife cry. I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm, I'm just teetering. Like I, just, <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know what it is. It's like I'm nearly 40. But then none of that stuff affects me. Like, I, I've never thought, what am I doing? Yeah. Am I? But I'm just, I don't know. There's a whole... It's just the way everything is in the whole world now at the moment. So you're wrestling with how everything is in no, the just whole the, world. The, everything's so divided. Everything's so split. And part of me just wants to go into the bush, like go into the Blue Mountains and just lock myself in a dark room and find a way to earn money <laughs> <laughs> and survive. IT. By not having to see any of that stuff, yeah, or expose myself. Because it's pretty damaging. Like, I'm on Twitter. I've slowed down how much I tweet, but all I'm on there really for now is breakdowns of American politics. Because yeah. there's some really smart people on there. And they'll just, like, 400 tweet chains of, like, an analysis of something that just happened. And I get in there, I search a couple of keywords. I'll be on there for hours. And it, it takes a toll. I think, I think the nice thing about Twitter and podcasts this is that you can do... There is now a field for proper investigative journalism in a way that there wasn't before. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, that was limited by the, the framework of the newspaper or the radio or the television i was uh, judging the british podcasting awards recently and there was an investigation on grenfell that went for months and you think even though that was all over the front pages for a long time you you never had this really in-depth investigations yeah uh, in the past in a way that wouldn't have like you would have had to write a book about it maybe well, they, they were the, that was the one that burnt, right? Yeah. And wasn't it something in the end, like it shouldn't, there shouldn't have even been people living there? Yeah, the, the cladding that they had on the outside of the building was not fire safe and it wasn't far enough away and it was a very poor quality and it should have been a different material. And so it was, you know, it was a manifestation of something that's happening more and more, which is there's a bigger divide between rich and poor than there ever has been, which is being excused by the fact that poor people are technically better off than they have been in the past. It's just comparatively not. Okay. But I think that Grenfell thing outside of all of that, and I haven't listened to that podcast, so I don't know how far into it they went. It's just a classic example of British construction. (laughs) Because I lived with a bunch of Aussie tradespeople the first time I went over there, and Mm. they did the... You know the apartments near Vauxhall on the Thames on the south side? They're mm-hmm. kind of new, newish now. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how old they are, but they build those. Yeah. And they'd always come home from work. And, oh, how was work? Like, I thought, mate, my day job today would have been my morning job in Australia. Like, they, they Aussies and Polish tradespeople get so much work over there because Brits are just like, oh, that'll do. And they had an English boss and it got to the point where they were doing the roofing and they had to wait for a, there was a sealant that they put on before they do the roof. So when it rains, basically it doesn't flood. 
yeah. inside and they didn't have it and the, the owner didn't want to wait and he goes no nah, don't worry about it just chuck it up just put the roofing on and they said yeah but it's going to flood like all it takes is one big storm and then the top floors are all going to leak and he just went yeah we'll be going by then <laughs> and you know you, you have you bought stuff that's made there it just kind of falls apart <laughs> I live with some Kiwis sorry to any English listeners but I live with some Kiwis and they had this table out the back and I sat down at it and I said this was not bought or made in England and I said how do you know and I said because it's too well made like it's solid it's sturdy I said where did you get this and they said oh we built it yeah. <laughs> there you go yeah it, it, yeah that's a I don't know enough about construction to have anything interesting to say about that. But what do you think it has something to do with the character of the country or the character of the economy there? Or? Well, didn't Margaret Thatcher do something that basically made it no incentive for people to get into trades? Yeah. Like a long, long time ago. And you, I mean, you've been there long enough. You've seen the division of class over there. Like Tiff Stevenson gave me a great breakdown of that. Yeah. And even the fact that every comedian gets on stage and has a joke about how middle class they are. Yeah, or like working class or yeah, upper class. It's just so through their society. I, yeah, and the thing that shocked me when I went there for the first time for an, an extended period of time was how much people of all of the classes defend the class structure. They insist on their class um, in a way that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like there's no sense... I guess they might not necessarily enjoy, for example, being working class. They can understand that there are downsides to that. But they don't want to be toffs. They don't want to be middle class. Yeah. They, they are proud. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's a definite... To be working class. Yeah, there's definite pride. So I saw this when I was, uh, I was at a place in Cambridge and there was a lady whose job it was to clean the house. And I, she came, the first time she came, I said, oh, do you want a hand? And she was outraged. Really? Like, not putting it on, genuinely upset that I would presume to intrude on her domain. Really? And I was... And I mean, maybe that's an atypical example, but it was just this massive culture shock for me. Would you think the pride is mainly, like, has been reinforced by the system? It's like, well, if you're going to think I'm... Like, I have to, I have to own this. Yeah. You're not going to make me feel bad for being who I am. So I don't know how much it. of it is something like that thing of, you know, you're if you're ostracised at school, you wear black and you get piercings and you're like, if you want to see me as different, I'm going to be the most different. I don't know how much of it is that or if it is just a genuine sense that each class has a set of moral values and social values that is, if you're in that class the most worthy yeah, 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 because you've been brought up with those values that might be the thing that you think is the best thing so you wouldn't want the other thing even if it came with money or and and also uh, class is detached from money much more there than it is here or in the u.s um yeah definitely well there's such an overlap over here dead poor and an aristocrat in england and here you can be cashed up and like bottom end of the working class mm. you know nearly underclass kind of thing just because jobs pay well here i think here it's more track it, it tracks education yeah more um the if there is a class system so it's a little bit more amorphous than it is in the uk but you do have people who no matter how much money they have or how much money they don't have you can't you can tell where they were educated 
Oh, so you can pick it by the accent. Yeah. I've had it at bus stops, 2am, in areas that used to be considered rough in London and are now, you know, what's it, gentrified. And people would come up to me and I said it a few times. And in my head, I was like, oh, this guy's feeling me out. And as soon as I came back with an Australian accent, they just, that was the end of it. Because you can place an English person by their accent. Yeah. And if you get that, oh, what was that, mate? All right, all right. You go, okay, this guy's working class. He might know how to fight. This isn't worth it. But yeah. if you approach someone and you get that well-spoken, posh, proper, straight away, anyone that's in any kind of street-level crime is just going to go, okay, this is an easier target. Well, certainly the fact that I have an Australian accent is easier in the UK than the accent that I have here. And that's probably because of their class system, though. Well, no, because... They probably they're... almost claim you. Oh, no, 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 she's one of the ones we're proud of. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's they, they can't... They could... I mean, for the most part, and of course there's people who've come to Australia who have Australian friends, but for the most part, they would not be able to tell that you and I were significantly different or they wouldn't be able to read which one of us was uh, Sydney Uni Law School. You don't think? I think they would. Well, they don't seem to be able to, certainly not in the way, like the way that I get up on stage here and the reaction from the audience here is very different, just straight off the bat. Okay. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> notice it. I think the thing with class is it intersects with every other issue as well. Mm. Like, and, and it's never really brought up, mm. like with every other hot button issue, but it intersects with every single one of them, like race and class or sexuality and class. Like it's going to be harder for a... <coughs> Yeah, I think so too. I think class never gets mentioned, particularly in America, because they fiercely insist that they don't have class. No, they've just got rich and poor. Like, ultra rich. (laughs) (laughs) Do they not bring it up? I've not been there, I don't know. No, they use race as a proxy for class. Okay. Generally. Yeah, so did you see a cop finally? One of the cops? Did you see that? One of the cops that killed someone? Oh, yeah, got arrested for... Yeah, and charged. Charged for murder or manslaughter? I think it was manslaughter. But he had the exact same excuse as all the other ones that did it. But Mm. the difference was it was a black guy. And it was an Aussie woman as opposed to a white cop killing a black guy on his phone in his own front yard Mm. or selling CDs out the front of a convenience store. or That whole country, it's depressing. Oh, like yeah. what's happening over there. You, you saw that, that heartbeat bill that just passed, mm. the six weeks thing. Uh, Alabama just jumped on as well. So that's Alabama and Georgia now. That's where the mother can go to jail for 30 years. The doctor gets life. Like it's unbelievable. Like how are they going backwards? How can the world's most advanced country be taking so many steps backwards socially? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the question. I've had a lot of people say, oh, well, dismiss this kind of division towards, like, on one hand, very kind of rigid, a very rigid form of liberalism, uh, and then on the other hand, like, aggressive conservatism. They say, oh, well, it's just a pendulum swing, but yeah. it'll just that's how history moves forward. I don't think that's the case at all. There's plenty of times when history's moved backwards. Yeah, but there seems... In terms of social norms, for sure. There seems to be on an epic scale, though. Like, someone sent me something the other day that uh, high heels were first worn by men. Yeah, absolutely. Which I didn't know that. But I did know that uh, baby boys used to wear pink. 
and Baby Girls used to wear blue, and that switched in 1927, I Yeah, think. so originally man, red was the manly colour for blood, and blue was the womanly colour for the Virgin Mary. All right. And, uh, yeah, then it got switched around. But blue's also more trustworthy, like if you know anything about colour theory. Mm. Uh, that's why Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, basically so many of the popular apps on the App Store, they choose a shade of blue, the police... And it's because it's a it's a cold colour, but it projects it's trustworthy. Yeah. And that's why they've all got it. Because yeah, I've gone right into colour theory and all that kind of stuff and Well heels used to be to keep your feet out of the mud of the streets. Yeah, right. And so men would wear them because they'd be walking more often than women. Okay. And they would wear sort of jewelled heels and buckled shoes and So when did that switch? Uh I think I don't know exactly. I think men wore them and women wore them both at the okay. same time, but it wasn't woman-led, it was just fashion-led, and men tended to be uh, very flamboyant in their fashions for a long time. And then uh, it was after, it was sort of the Regency period where fashions for men started to tone down and become a bit more militaristic. <laughs> um, and then they went from tight pantaloons it was a sewing construction thing to these loose trousers. That was a big step forward for men's fashion. And that was based on Indian fashion, these pyjama trousers, the, okay. what, what were called pyjama trousers, which is straight leg trousers, rather than uh, essentially shorts that were held in with ribbons or garters at the knee and then stockings underneath, or very tight pantaloons that you'd need someone to help you word. into. <laughs> such a good word yeah I find all that stuff fascinating I mean obviously I'm speaking of like very little actual knowledge there are experts in this stuff but yes I find it really interesting for sure yeah I find like I need my phone out to google some of these things you've mentioned already just so I can keep up uh, <laughs> when was the regency period uh, it was where it was, oh, it was I'll, we can talk about that afterwards but it's okay. a lot of historical fiction is set in the regency period particularly romance novels okay. uh, because it was a time at which there was sim, there was simultaneously a slight breakdown of class norms yeah. um, that you had people who were going out to the colonies and coming back wealthy and a merchant class that was arising and becoming incredibly wealthy um, and also you had the beginnings of this idea of romantic love marriages in the upper classes, that the upper classes were no longer just marrying for money. Uh, they would also have this idea of, of love. So that's an interesting time at which values became much more conservative because when you have an aristocracy that is marrying for convenience or for the sake of an heir and everybody knows that, you had these French values. They'd all have mistresses or affairs and everyone knew about it quite openly. That was the norm. And then as this kind of Regency period came around, people were much more, uh, or not much more, but you had simultaneously quite formal courtesies, which is always fun for writing a book. You know, you can't, you can't talk to a woman unless you've been formally introduced to her, for example. And then also... For in terms of like writing romance novels, I, and this is what I wrote my uh, undergraduate uh, undergraduate thesis on. So this is I'm I'm just going to nerd out about it. Yeah, go for it and stop. educate me at the same time. Um, but, 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 <laughs> I do have a wow look on my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then you also have like in terms of like a genre structure in in a romance novel. It's a very formal genre structure. Yeah, you could have in this 
formula in this set if you set it in that period you can have a marriage of convenience that becomes a love match which is always fun two people forced together classic buddy cop yeah, yeah, um, yeah. dynamic i mean all buddy cop movies are essentially romance novels well, with the way the characters are based, the, the stru- way that the yeah the, stru- the, the way that the structure main. moves forward, it's quite a, a classic romance genre. And then they f- reluctantly fall in love with each other, and they protect each other. I mean, they express their love by taking a bullet for someone, or yeah, well, that's a lethal weapon down to it. Yeah, take. absolutely. Yeah, and then yeah. there's that you know, you can always read these kind of um, homo erotic or homosocial subtexts, particularly with something like taking a bullet or. Yeah. yeah, that's actually really interesting because it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they are all like that. Yeah. Yeah, every single one of them. Yeah, and so then also you can have the genre where they can't, you know, the two people who can't be together, the Romeo and Juliet story, because they're of different classes or their parents want them to marry somebody else. Or Yeah. So it's just a very fertile ground for, like, two different sets of rigid structure intersecting, I think, provide really, really fertile ground for creative freedom. Okay. So you have the rigid structure of the formal, the romantic novel form, and then you also have the rigid structure of this society. And so then when they come together, you get, I think, really interesting stuff comes out of it. Well, Side Story has the same... It's <coughs> basically based on Romeo and Juliet. That, yeah, that, that is Romeo and Juliet, yeah. yeah. Have you seen it? Yes, I saw it quite late. I saw it in my 20s. <laughs> I saw it two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it? Did you cry? No, it's, no I thought, honestly, it was deep. Like, I thought they were all very talented performers, but in my head it was just... If that was the Bronx or wherever it was set, like, where where was it set? Or on the Upper West Side or somewhere? Were those, well, on the West that, Side, yeah. But that's like a wealthy area, right? Well, at the time it wasn't. Okay, it all right. Wasn't. There was just a few... Oh, I don't know, it was fine. It was fine. I kind of got a trade-off with my girlfriend where she'll come to something with me. Well, you know, I can't I'll remember. Go to a musical with her or a play. What suburb was it? I think it was the Bronx that was built to be for wealthy people. I'm not sure if it was the Bronx. I okay. might be wrong. Um, but they built all these incredible houses and then no one wanted to move into them. And then the squatter communities and black communities moved into them. And then no one definitely wanted to move into them. And then that, that was really interesting. There was a lot of real estate investment there that didn't come good. Okay. Because it was good. There was a <laughs> simulated sexual assault scene that I thought was, like, completely unnecessary. Like, I'm sure it was in the original. Mm. But they updated dialogue to say that Puerto Rico is now part of the state. So if you can update a bit of dialogue. Oh, you know, so you saw a modern adaptation? Yeah, so it was the Sydney Opera. It was on the harbour. They did one, the one on the water. That's always really nice. Yeah, it was really nice. But I I did my head. It was like, well, if you can update a piece of dialogue, Mm. like surely you can like maybe take out a simulated sexual assault, especially in this climate. Like not even in this climate, but just like it just like it was three, five seconds. Nothing happened. Yeah. Afterwards, it was never referenced, never mentioned. So they couldn't say, oh, no, we were shining a light on issues because they weren't. Because two minutes later, she's up and singing and dancing again. So it was just (laughs) something that felt... Like, it happened for the sake of it. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure it probably was in the original. But it just seemed to me, I was like, oh. You know, I even said it to my girlfriend at the time. Like, there was just a really quiet moment when the whole audience was sitting there after a massive applause break. And I said, how come no one said anything about the rape? (laughs) (laughs) 
and then it just kind of like just carried on. It's right near the end. It's uh, right near I the end in that final. Again, I, I saw it more, more recently than I should have as a cultural touchstone, but long enough ago that I don't really remember anything other than that great opening aggressive ballet scene. Yeah, like it was very and entertaining. They're clicking their fingers at each other and yeah. leaping yeah, yeah, yeah. off things. It was entertaining and a, and a great place to see it, but that to me just felt a bit like, really? <laughs> Do you need this? Like I get it if you, you are like exploring it. Yeah. Or you are going to shine a light or get into it, but when you're just doing it. Yeah. Because it's in the original, because you can. Like it just seems. Well, it seemed. I mean, this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons why comedy is so good and so much fun if you're doing it live, is because it's very much down to you. For all you know, there could have been a power struggle between the producers and the directors and the assistant director and the actors where someone wanted to make something of it throughout the plot and someone didn't want to make something of it or they cut it for time. Hmm. So then that was the thing that got left. That editing process, group editing by committee, does end up with things like that. In oh, totally. Work. You see it on TV shows or people, they talk and all the compromises they have to make along the way from their initial idea. That's why I just love Larry David, where people are oh, we want to do this, we want to do that. And he goes, all right, well, I won't do the show. <laughs> like he was always just prepared to, to walk away. I mean, that is your best negotiating position, is being able to walk away, yeah. being willing to walk it's, away. It's my way or not at all. Like, that's a pretty powerful... And he was, but it wasn't even that powerful. This was in the early days. Mm. Like, in the early days of the show. It was like, no, Jerry and Elaine aren't getting together. They nearly did at the end of one of the first seasons. Oh, no. And then, but then they didn't. They had that agreement, that arrangement, that I don't know how well you know the show, that this and that thing and the other... And then the next season came back and they never really referenced it again. And the only time it ever came up was when it was like, oh, we used to have a thing, but we're just friends now. But they never did that classic, you know. It's interesting what you said too about the buddy cop thing because I was watching, re-watching Community at the moment. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah, it's a great show. Well, Arvid, you know, he's just obsessed with TV and movies and all that kind of stuff. And they're investigating something. And uh, Annie, little Annie Adderall, and, um, oh, gosh, I can't remember her name. I only just started. But they both want to be the bad cop. And it's just an argument. like, well, this is a classic mix-up of a traditional trope kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. so they're both trying to out-bad each other. But I guess that they, you, you need that balance. It's the same as uh, Parks and Rec. You know, like any show, you take out the boring character and the whole show would just crumble. Like, yeah. you need that straight person. Always, uh... I think her name was Margaret Dumont. I could be wrong, uh, but the lady in the Marx Brothers, yeah, whose job was to play this sort of very statuesque straight woman, and she would either be sort of sputtering with outrage or completely deadpan in the face of, you know, Groucho Marx extravagantly hitting on her, or all this everything falling to pieces around her, or cream pies flying around. That was her job. Her job was to not crack a smile while the Marx Brothers were flipping over backwards. Yeah, she is one of the most underrated, like, com- comedic forces. It's a hard role to play, the straight person. Yeah, absolutely. And when people do it well, but it kind of sucks because they don't get the... Yeah. They don't get the attention or the respect. Everyone's like, oh, no, I prefer... Yeah, you prefer the goofy out yeah, there or the one. crazy character or whatever. You but know, the quiet, you know, Cyclops in the X-Men, the yeah, guy who gets it done. I don't think Michael Bluth is anyone's favourite character in Arrested Development. 
But yeah. if he's not there... The whole thing is nonsense. Yeah, because then it is just a family with no one has any awareness well, about that's, how I they th- come across. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's the thing as well. You need in a in a fiction as well where you're creating your own world to a certain extent, you need a, a character that is setting the norm, that's reminding yeah. you of what reality is. Otherwise, you know... If, the, if everyone just accepts everything that go, goes on, well, you go, well, this is the world now. This is a world where it is totally acceptable to cut a hole out of a policeman's pocket. You know, like... Yeah, 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 yeah. It is interesting. I'd love to do a sitcom. Yeah? yeah oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all I grew up on, sitcoms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I grew up on not, not television. Okay. So in some ways that means that I'm less well-suited to writing... TV stuff, and in other ways, it means I get a kind of an outside view on it. Yeah, yeah. And that, I, oh, I just I grew up on other stuff as well, but TV that was my thing. Like it was sitcoms. Yeah. Like I never really rated movies. Like I did, but it was about ten years ago. I got like top ten lists of all the movie buffs within comedy. I was like, oh, which movies do I need to see? Yeah. And they and they were all pretty similar, so I just went through and did them all. Were yep. there any that surprised you as being not as good as you thought they would be? Um, no, they were all pretty list? good. They were all pretty good. Can That's... you remember any of them off the top of your head? Uh, Memento, The Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects, definitely. Uh, Juno, uh, Syriana, which one, that one I didn't, didn't love. That was a Dan Illich recommendation. What else was on there? Um, oh, I've watched The Usual Suspects a few times. Like, just because I really... Well, this is pre... Because mm. <laughs> I'd say that would have been one of the better ones. But when it came to movies, I always just watched it. It was just the big blockbuster ones. Yeah. You know, at the cinema kind of thing. And now it's gone more towards narrative television. Like sure. narrative we're, drama. We're, and narrative sitcoms. Sitcoms have changed so much now. I think Ricky Gervais had a lot to do with that with The Office. Not only bringing back the mockumentary style, but the actual narrative... Like the old school sitcoms, it was funny from the get-go. Yeah. And everything was resolved in 22 or 28 minutes, depending on what country you live in. But now... Yeah, each episode kind of reset the scene. And that that was what was nice and reassuring about them, was you kind of knew what would happen. Again, an argument for genre structure. But having a kind of a long-form sweeping arc is, is now much more done. It's a harder investment, though, I've got to say. Like, I'm trying to get my mum to watch The Wire because she loves cop shows. She mm. loves all that kind of stuff. She reads constantly. Like, she's a bookworm. And I'm like, Mum, he said they're not episodes, they're chapters. But it is a slow burn. And it's the same with some of the sitcoms as well now. Like, it takes you three or four episodes to get sucked into the world. Yeah. Whereas before, it just came out of the gate really strong. And also, unlike a book, which could get away with a few kind of dud chapters, particularly if you're watching something week to week, if there are four episodes of a show that are just not as good as you want them to be, you'll you'll tap out. Oh, especially when you've got to wait a week back yeah. in the day in between. Like, I, the, towards the end of The Wire, there's a scene, there's an entire episode where Omar and another guy are just sitting in a car, hmm. like, basically looking for a way in to get at someone before they get at him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, nothing happened. Like, a lot happens, but nothing happens. But if you can't binge watch it... There's a Tom Hardy movie I watched, one of the few where he isn't wearing a mask, uh, where he's a concrete pourer, like he's a technical pourer of concrete, and they're about to do this biggest pour in the 
Europe or something like that, and he's driving away from it. He's meant to be going to it. He's the boss, but he's driving away for, to, from it to get to the birth of a child who's yeah. his Ill- illegitimate child that he got from a one-night stand, and he promised he'd be there for the birth. And the whole movie is just cameras on his face, him calling everyone in his life, from his boss to his son to his wife, and dismantling his own life. Really? What's it called? I can't remember what it's called. But look up, like, Tom Hardy driving movie. And okay, Tom Hardy find driving movie. <laughs> like, Google will figure it out for you. It's actually, uh, I thought it was an interesting artistic experiment, if nothing else. And you can see that he actually can act. Yeah, right. It's interesting where television's gone. There's a book called Difficult Men, and it's about, I think it's the third golden age of television now. Mm. And it's basically about how all the leading characters now are, even Bojack, they've they're, they're got a bad side. Yeah. Tony Soprano, Walter White, you know, uh, Matt, the, the dude in Mad Men, what's his name, Don Draper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the anti-hero, the complex, yeah, uh, yeah. damaged man. This is one of the reasons why I wrote Empire, which is a kind of the central character in that is an Atticus Finch-type character because I don't okay. think we see that kind of... You either see uh, anyone who has a, a fierce and rigid moral code in popular culture these days tends to express it violently. Yeah. The, the rigidity of their moral code is expressed through violent action or you have these dark, complex shitty horrible people who are we're meant to sympathize with basically because the camera's on them yeah yeah, yeah. that's the thing and i just thought i hadn't seen for a long time a, a, a narrative arc where somebody who is just quiet noble does their duty is rewarded for that yeah lemo put out a tweet the other week and it was like who is the most badass television character from the last 20 years it was like a survey mm. and it was uh, uh aria from game of thrones tony soprano walter white and omar little uh, and omar got eight percent of the votes and i was furious <laughs> but it just goes to show you that like because he was a good guy that was driven by a moral compass yeah. but it just goes to show that everyone loves a bad guy like yeah. a bad character yeah. In a show. Like Tony, the David Chase, the guy from The Sopranos, he had to fight to keep this. I don't know if you've seen it, but in one of the earlier episodes, Tony kills someone and he had to fight to keep that in and to let that happen. He had to fight with HBO and they said, we can't do that because characters won't like him. But, you know, and he goes, yeah, but, if, will... but if, if we don't do it, the audience won't respect him. He's the head of the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he's the head of a crime family. He has to. Yeah, if you don't want him to murder someone, you don't do a show about it. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, totally. So I find all that stuff fascinating. But even that book said it was Seinfeld was the original one. Like all these dramas with the complex and dark, disturbed characters, Seinfeld was the original, but it never gets considered because it's a comedy. But they're all black hearts. They're all out for themselves. Yeah, you know. that inherent selfishness. Yeah. And I, I wonder how much... This is a question, I think, that's kind of going around in the public domain at the moment, is by talking about something, even negatively, by giving it a platform or casting light on it, are you encouraging it? Are you demonstrating it how it can be done? Are you allowing space for it in a society where 
if you were all repressed and didn't talk about this stuff, on one hand there would be people who felt terrible on the inside, but the action would happen less, maybe. I don't know. I, th- I think stuff needs to be spoken about. The first thing I noticed when I went over to the UK is, like, oh, wow, their news actually has news in it. <laughs> Whereas here, it's like, I did a joke about it when I came back, and over there, someone's getting their throat slashed, or someone gets murdered, and you come back to Australia, and it's, oh, the bananas are $12 a kilo. <laughs> you know, like it was, so that was interesting to see. I think stuff needs to be... I know what sp- you went to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I think stuff definitely needs to be spoken about, but it's just, how do you... You can't change... I don't think you can change people's minds online. Yeah. Like the amount of debates or even I'll type out a comment or a reply and then I just... It's just not worth it because mm. I've just had too many instances where you get into something with someone and you just... People just end up arguing. Yeah. Like I think for a lot of people they need to experience something personally before it will change their take on it or even consider changing their take on it. Which is one of the reasons that art is useful because the emotional experience of being in an audience and is as close to experiencing something as you're going to get. Yeah, definitely. Because you you have an emotional investment. There's a kind of a... And maybe a, a, a blurring, like you know how they say, take a, a woman to a roller coaster or a horror movie because the adrenaline that she'll feel will make her, she'll mix it up for affection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In her head. I think that happens a lot. So if you go through an emotional experience in the audience of a show, this feelings of, of laughter and revelation and, and epiphany and all of that, then the experience that's being spoken about on stage, you can feel it personally you can take it personally in a way that you can't when you're reading about it in the news you can't when you're being argued uh, in a lecture theater you can't when you see it online yeah it's that once you kind of unlock the box of personal feeling or personal emotion or personal experience i think that's one of the reasons why i think comedy is really useful and powerful oh definitely but then there are also people that just do things for the sake of it because they can. Yeah. Or they want to. Yeah, that's know, allowed too. that's definitely not helpful. But then what's... I mean, you can't... I'm all for people... Like, someone had a go at me on my Facebook one day when Fraser Anning got eggs. Yeah. And I just photoshopped a picture of him holding a carton of eggs. And I didn't even say anything bad, but I put some money behind it because I knew it would rile some people up. Yeah. And I just... Based, and it wasn't... I just said, I guess... Fraser Anning punching that kid proves that the egg came before the chicken. Like, it's just a stupid joke. Yeah. And I put like 20 bucks on it. And the amount of comments, the amount of people commenting, and I was bored and in an airport, so I engaged with a few of them. And never, I just shouldn't have. Never. I shouldn't have. Never. I just should have let it, left it there. You know, I should have just let, let it slide because I don't, yeah, it's hard to change people's minds. And also, I think a lot of people on the, the far left are just as bad as the far right with how far they'll go for their like there's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides yeah i think it is it it is that unwillingness to see your opposition as fully human that worries me the most yeah like i think the states will have a civil war i was speaking to a friend of mine who no longer speaks to their father yeah because they disagree about trans rights yeah but the father doesn't have trans friends, as far as he knows, and nor does the kid. So the kid's just more socially But there, there's an ide- ideological difference there that has no real-world application. 
It has a potential hypothetical future real-world application if they meet a trans person and the father is rude, which you don't know. But just the, they're arguing about ideas to the point where this person doesn't have a relationship with their father anymore seems odd to me. Well, are they, I take it they're not trans themselves. No. Okay. Yeah, that is, or maybe they are and they have But it's that thing of like, okay, for ex- I mean, a more kind of common example would be racism. Because everyone always cuts their parents a little bit more slack. Yeah. I find. But they've, d- they've cut their, their father off. Right. For this idiot. So, for example, I guess if you found out tomorrow that your mum was racist. Yeah. That might be a more pertinent example. Yeah, but if my and my mum disagree on something, we'll just discuss it. Yeah. But I think that's because we're family and we can. Yeah. You know, like we can discuss it and it doesn't really turn into an argument and it's just usually one side pointing out. But it's never on any of those things. Yeah. Because both of my parents are pretty open-minded with all of that stuff. Mm. You know, but I think, yeah, when it comes to outsiders, that is, that is a big one, like someone not talking to their dad anymore. Well, people, what, what Clementine Ford got in trouble for still having a relationship with her father who's a conservative politician because she is very overtly feminist yeah, and very yeah. overtly liberal and so she was talking about going back to the family for Christmas and got flack from her own side if you can say it's sides well unfortunately I think it is sides yeah that's all that's how it feels anyway but it feels like there's more than two sides as well <laughs> Have you, have you, I watched, I haven't watched it in years, but I just chucked on some South Park the other day. Yeah. Have you seen any of that lately? Not recently, but. Oh, it's so on the pulse. Like it was about Trump coming into presidency and basically they had this, and one of the kids, I think it was Randy's dad was an internet troll. <laughs> and they developed some theory called Trevor's Axiom. And it's like, so person A trolls person B, but not to troll person B. They want a reaction out of person C who's then going to come in. That's, and then, that's Piers Morgan's strategy. And then you've got D, E, F and G that come in and attack C. And like, it just kind of just completely spreads out. And I looked it up to see if it was actually a real thing. Yeah. It's like, this happens all the time. Because <laughs> you, you see, I don't know, everyone seems to have a spot where they'll compromise. Well, one of the things that kind of was a revelation, and we should go in a minute, but one of the things that kind of how long blew... My, we're coming up on 45 minutes. All oh, right. So how long are they usually? About this much. Okay. I'll check that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so what was I saying? Um, I was saying one of the things is these bot farms. Yeah. So that So we are being fed information according to algorithms based on things that we click on patterns of clicking on things yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you click on things in a certain pattern that is information that then presents that pattern of things towards you in the future or that kind of pattern things that are analogous and that algorithm is being refined every day but there are also bot farms that go onto these websites facebook twitter youtube and click according to an automated preset pattern yeah, well, like with the American election and all And the so you have an algorithm that is being shaped by an algorithm. Well, here's an example of that. So you're seeing things not just because of how people click, but of how robots click, and that will take you down a particular rabbit hole that a, a human wouldn't necessarily go down. Did you Have you heard about Dingo Twitter? No. Well, the guy that did the Christchurch thing, he's, he was a part of that. And I found them because my website got hacked about two years ago because I did a couple of Trump jokes about Trump. 
Oh, wow. And then I just, all these people started attacking me. Wow. And then I was kind of like, you know, throwing comebacks at them and all that kind of stuff online. And then the next two days, my website was down. And I started looking into it. They, and they all had that profile pic that he had kind of thing. And if there's a thing, and it's our version of the alt-right. Like, they're that, they're that far gone. Like, there's a hashtag on Twitter. There's not that many left of them anymore. Or there doesn't seem to be. Or they've moved on and formed another group. But I posted something on Instagram, jokingly, about two weeks ago. And, you know, like, influencers. Mm. Right? And it's always glamorous products. And I just did it with a laxative. <laughs> so let's do something funny. Yeah. You know, like, and that no one would have the guts to endorse. Well, all those skinny teas that the Kardashians endorse are actually just laxatives, but really? move ahead. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, anyway, I hashtagged yourself. Influencer. Uh-huh. Like one of the hashtags, I, I can't even remember what the other two was, but the third one was influencer. And there must be a machine that, like an algorithm that searches for that hashtag. Mm. And then, because I got five separate message requests. You know, if you're not following someone, it comes up in the other folder. Yeah. And they were all, hey, if you give us $20 a month, we can guarantee you this many likes and this many followers and we're a professional service. And I've had them before, but I never noticed that it was every time I used that hashtag. Yeah, wow. Like jokingly. And I just replied to, I deleted four of them. And one of them I replied to and I said, hey, look, before you spam people with this scam, learn how to spell professional properly. <laughs> but then straight away, like I didn't even agree to do it. I get another auto reply from them. They just took my reply as me saying yes. And they go, yeah, we just ran it on your latest post. And then I checked it and like it had over, like I got like 150 extra likes all within one minute. All right, so I blocked, I had to block that account. And then because of how Instagram is with all those. Well, it's, it's interesting because likes and follows are now a proxy for income. Well, I actually had to go through and delete every single one of them. Like block, like go in to the like, go to their profile, and then block them. Half of them were locked, and they with no followers, and the other half were Spanish. Wow. And it's people that they've managed to sucker in. But you always know if the follower counts the same as the following. Mm. But Instagram's getting rid of that. The likes, showing the likes. That's they're, interesting. They're trialing it in Canada now, which is quite interesting because it's going to take away from that people not feeling well, that that dopamine rush that men get and the um, oxytocin well, rush that women get when well, you're st- you engaged. still see your own mm. and then Facebook just had one of their F8 I think it was they have this big social media conference every year and they've completely restructured what they're doing this year so now they're preferencing videos that are longer than three minutes uh, the, the pages look like they're going to become obsolete and now they're focusing on groups and communities which is essentially what you've got with Patreon, right? You've got a community of people who like, so Facebook is now shifting all their focus towards people cultivating a group or a community because everyone has at least one group that they're in regularly. So they're shifting the focus back to the group mentality as opposed to the, hey, this is my brand page. Uh, And they're creating separate types of profiles now for influencers. But they're called creators now. No, so they change it every year. You think you've learnt the rules. And then they change it up. <laughs> and then they go, hey, we're changing that out. But they're also changing in response to what we're doing or what they think we're doing. Oh, and also... And what they think that we're doing is being shaped as much by robots as it is by us. Yeah, and a lot of it is in response to the Cambridge Analytica thing with the election and privacy. Mm. They said in groups are a more private 
like moderated groups or a more private way for people who have a similar interest to get involved. And it's probably also a way that they can justify keeping all those alt-right and hate speech things on there mm. instead of everyone reporting Fraser Anning's page for hate speech. He can just form a group and just have his own echo chamber. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, whether it's more or less um, horrendous tribalistic viciousness or not, you know, I don't know whether it'll turn us into more fighting each other or less fighting each other. I think it'll be good in the sense, like, for people that are genuinely either have an interest in something or are, like, a performer or, you know, any kind, bands, whatever, because you can Mm. curate and cultivate your audience. Mm. And if someone is in there just to troll, you can just get rid of them. I've never blocked anyone on my Facebook page, even if they've said something I disagree with. One guy even said it to me, he's, oh, you lefty... Snowflake, blah, blah, blah. And I said, mate, where did I say anything? I said, yeah, this is my page. I said, I'm for freedom of speech, but you've got to know that if you say it, I'm going to say something back. Yeah. I'm not going to be one of those people that just blocks you and pretends you don't exist. If you're going to say it. Ooh, I, I, on Twitter, I block people before they're even engaged with me. Really? Oh, there's a few odd blocks on Twitter. If I see, it's usually if I see a a friend of mine who's also a comedian, who's also a woman, engaging in some sort of terrible fight with someone who's being an absolute asshole, I'll just block that asshole immediately. Yeah. And then because they've clearly got a type of person that they harass, I'm that type. They've never seen me, and if I block them preemptively, they never will. Yeah. Well, those ones I definitely do do. But then, like ostentatious. I don't know if you saw the thing with him and Sullivan and all that like down in Melbourne, and I had a thing with him going back 15 years. And I'll say this really quickly because I know you want to wrap it up. Uh, he, he's blocked pretty much the entire comedy industry and the only people that he hadn't blocked were women. <laughs> and then he's, like, making jokes about how he was going to show up to their show and all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's a big man. He's quite intimidating. And that, to me, just showed how much of a coward he is. It's like, dude, you're six foot five. <sighs> You've blocked every single male, yet you're pretty much subtly threatening women. Yeah, I I know his family, so I can't say too much about about him. Well, tell him I said a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he doesn't behave very well at all. Uh, he behaves incredibly badly. I think I feel I can feel free to say that he, he behaves very badly. Uh, where can people find you online, Dan Towns? Uh, Twitter is at Daniel Towns. Instagram is Daniel underscore Towns. That's N E S. And Facebook is just Daniel Towns Comedy. Or just DanielTowns.com. Yeah, or, or Google him. He's also one of the funniest comedians going around in Australia at the moment. So yeah, I don't know watch. if this episode reflected that, but whatever. It wasn't I'm meant to. This life. isn't a comedy <laughs> podcast. It's a, co- it's a podcast about interesting ideas with interesting okay, people, many of whom happen those. to be comedians. I actually prefer that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you've oh, enjoyed that's good. yourself. Oh, every time I do one, it's like, oh, I'm not being funny enough. No. Oh, good, good, good. I should have told you beforehand that you didn't need to be funny. I don't think you... Never mind. Uh... Thank you so much for having tea with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on.
do you know, or do you not? This dolphin mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you dolphins, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle, day.